energy. Can we all just admit that I was right about Mac Jones from the start? He's good. He's not great. And they have made him worse by what they have done to him this year. The passion. This UVM team is the most athletic team I can remember in the eight years I've been covering them. They're that fast. They're that quick. They're that bouncy. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Craig Breslow might be great. But he's got to start spending money. I think he's going to, but he better start soon. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. No high school basketball tonight. We have a full show, all 90 minutes here on DEB. We will go right up until... 7 o'clock. We'll have Tom Karen of Nesson with us. He'll come up at about 6.15. I spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio earlier. you hear a little bit from Freddie as well. Talk a lot about the Patriots today and their introduction of Gerard Mayo as their newest head coach. Talk about what Robert Kraft had to say, what the pundits are saying, what you're saying on the text line 802-585-3026. Danny, I need you to remind me of this tomorrow. Tomorrow, we need a new intro. We have had that intro since November 29th. Mac Jones' time in New England is done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, we'll still talk about Mac, but I don't want to have Mac in the intro anymore. It's just, it's just time. So but tomorrow, the UVM team is still bouncy. They're still bouncy. That, that probably could stay. I'm going to change out all of it, but by tomorrow, you have to tell me we need a new intro. That is your job, okay? I'll set an alert. If you think you can handle that, tell me tomorrow by 1 o'clock, right? 1 o'clock tomorrow, you can tell me a, uh, you know, th- that, that's when I can go and make the new intro. So that's your task, among many tasks, but that is the task I am giving you uh, by tomorrow. So 802-585-3026, you can get in on the text line if you want to talk about Patriots, Mayo, what you heard, TC, all of the above. Danny, let go. 5, 4, 3, 2, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont and upstate New York's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, Rouse's Point, New York, and at Swanton Lumber. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Gerard Mayo, the 15th head coach in New England Patriots history, officially introduced today at Patriot Place. We've got audio from Robert Kraft. We've got audio from Mayo. A bunch of stuff here to get to. So, Danny, uh, let me just give you my overarching kind of bullet points on this first before we play any of the audio that I want to get to. I liked a lot of what Gerard Mayo had to say. Right? I've been critical of the hire. I've been questioning about the hire. As we hear Gerard Mayo in front of the microphones for the first time as Patriots head coach today, I liked a lot of what I heard, right? He talked about, he used all the great buzzwords, collaboration. He said he wasn't Bill. He said he's his own person. He says he's taken from a lot of great coaches in his career, talked about wanting to win, talked about process, talked about wanting to develop people, talked about wanting to connect with players, talked about wanting to build relationships, to repair relationships, etc. He talked about being open-minded. He talked about, again, being collaborative. All of that stuff is great to hear, right? For someone like me who's questioned things, that is great to hear. Danny, you've been producing this show now since mid-July. You've known me for probably five years at this point. Do you know me well enough to know what I'm going to say next? 
you want results over words, something like that, right? Close. It is. This is my new phrase, and you need to get it tattooed. You need to know that I'm going to get this phrase tattooed on my forehead at some point. It is a game of show, not a game of tell. Forehead is aggressive. Well, I'm going to get it tattooed on my forehead, and you just need to memorize that it's there. Okay, because that that is that is my go-to phrase from now on. I used to have a go-to phrase that was "How good you are dictates how big a distraction you can be." That used I love to be that one. Huh? I love that one. Yeah, that used to be my kind of like that used to be like if I was ever to have a bumper sticker quote, that was going to be it. My new one is: It is a game of show, not a game of tell. I made it a resolution to myself. I told you I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but I made it my sports radio resolution at the very end of 2023 to not get fooled and not get sucked in by great press conferences. I used to be all in on who won the press conference. I used to be all in on did you hit all the buzzwords, what fancy phrases did you use, what inspirational quotes did you give, how emotional did you make me, what did you make me feel. I used to be into all of that. And I was routinely a sucker for a guy who had a great press conference. I remember being moved by what Joe Judge had to say with the New York Giants. And too many times I was bitten by somebody who had a great press conference. I told myself at the end of 2023, I am not going to fall for a great press conference anymore. I exp- These people who get these jobs, they are all smart. They are all relatively well-spoken. They all can command the room to some degree. So I expect that their press conferences are largely going to be impressive. I have moved beyond that. It is not about what you tell me on day one. It is about what you show me every day after that. Gerard Mayo says the right things. He says he's not Bill Belichick. Prove it. Gerard Mayo says he wants to collaborate. It's not all about what he thinks. That's great. Prove it. He talks about what his plans are for the offense, the defense, special teams. That's all fine to say in a press conference. What can you implement on May 15th at rookie minicamp. What can you implement on July 22nd at training camp day one? What can we implement on September 15th when we see week one and the defending NFC champion Eagles come to town? Okay. Words are great. They are just words. Okay. If you have a bad press conference, I will judge that moving forward, right? A bad press conference to me is a bad sign. A good press conference is par for the course. That is an expectation. Now what do you do beyond that? I started this with the Craig Breslow presser in Boston, right? He got hired as the Red Sox uh, chief baseball officer in October or whatever. And I said, look, he's an Ivy League graduate. He's going to have a great press conference. He's going to say all the right things. He's going to be smart. He's going to be prepared. He's going to look the part. And I'm not going to care. I don't care that much about what Gerard Mayo said today. He said the right things. Cool. Now go and do the right things moving forward. Go and do the right things moving forward. 802-585-3026. What did I like about Mayo beyond the collaboration, beyond the buzzwords? I liked the energy. Seemed like a guy who has spirit. You would expect that from now the youngest coach in the league at this point at 37 years old. Seemed like he had energy. Seemed like he was fired up for the job. Seemed like he had some charisma. We talk about wanting a leader in Foxborough. 
that's he seems like he's got the qualities and the personalities that could be that guy. Is he a rah rah guy like Dan Campbell? No, he didn't. He didn't make that apparent. But he also wasn't stoic like Bill. I like that. He seemed approachable. He spoke to the media well, and for 24 years of a guy who didn't speak to the media well, didn't want to speak to the media well, I can appreciate that. Again, he used the right buzzwords. He talked about creating relationships. That is one of those buzz phrases that I like to hear. A lot of good stuff there from Gerard Mayo. It's about show, not tell, though. Danny, uh, play me Gerard Mayo number one, talking about developing players, developing people. I would say I'm a huge believer in just developing people, Uh, whether it's on the football field, whether it's off the football field, in the media world, in business. My calling is to be a teacher and to develop people and help them see pretty much what they don't want to see, but they need to see. So my job has always uh, been that that is my calling. I think that's important, right, to be a teacher, to treat your players as learners, and to value them as people, and to help them grow as people. Again, I will say it until I'm blue in the face. Call it soft. Call it millennial. Call it not the way we did it back in my day. But today's generation of people is different, right? I'm 34 years old. I don't like to be yelled at. I don't like to just be told we're going to do this. I, at 34, like to be nurtured, like to be molded, like to be told not just that we're doing something, but why are we doing it? Now, that's me at 34. I feel that that is something I have grown into. Danny, how old are you? Are you 26 at this point? Seven. Okay, 27 at this point. I got to imagine that you are even more like that. And the people who come into the league now are... You like that even more than Danny is. It's a generational thing. It's different. I've been hearing it now for weeks in this process. This generation of players doesn't want to be told, hey, just run through the wall. They want to know why they're doing it. They want to be nurtured. They want to be developed. They want those relationships. They want to be, they want to be grown and they want their skills to be honed in. And Back in 1965, it wasn't necessarily that way. It was we're doing it because that's what I said. And that was fine for 1965. Today, players want something more. Gerard Mayo seems to recognize that, seems to understand how to implement that. He at least talks the good game of doing it, by and large. The people that we have heard talk about Gerard Mayo have spoken about his ability to lead and connect and to help people grow. That is all a good thing for me to hear on day one, and so far the evidence of him as as an assistant coach backs up that validity, backs up that that is true. One of the criticisms of Mayo has been, will he just be Bill Belichick Jr.? Is he a further extension of Bill Belichick? He told us no. I'm not trying to be Bill. I'm not trying to be Bill. I think that Bill is his own man. Uh, If you can't tell by now, I'm a little bit different even up here. Uh, But what I will say is, you know, the more I think about, the more I think about, like, the lessons that I've taken from Bill, hard work works, right? Hard work works, and and that's what we're all about. I would expect that Gerard Mayo has a lot of Bill Belichick in him. I just don't want him to have all of Bill Belichick in him. 
right? I would expect that Gerard Mayo would draw from the experience that he has had, right? I was a coach in college for a handful of years, right? Two years as a junior college baseball coach, one year at Norwich, so three years of coaching. Certainly not on this level. I can understand that, of course. But I said to myself while I was coaching, okay, I'm going to take the best parts of every coach that I had had to that point, right? The best parts of my youth coaches, the, my most favorite part, my favorite coach ever was a guy I had when I was 16, right? 15 and 16. He was my coach for two years, actually three years, and he was awesome. And I said, okay, I'm going to take a lot from him, but I'm also going to take some stuff from my high school coach, and I'm going to take some stuff from my college coach, and I'm going to take some stuff from youth coaches that I had. And then I'm going to recognize, hey, you know what? Not all of those coaches were perfect, and I'm going to not do what that guy did, and I'm going to not do what that guy did, and I'm going to mold all of that into my own coaching style. I would hope that Gerard Mayo is going to have a lot of Bill Belichick in him when it comes to preparation, game planning, film watching, attention to detail, how important doing the little things are. When he says, I'm not Bill, I hope he recognizes, like, hey, not everything Bill did was perfect, right? I don't love his demeanor with the media. I don't love his way he went after that guy in the film room, whatever it is. When he says, I'm not Bill, I'm glad to hear that. But there better be some of Bill in you. better be a good amount of Bill in you because a lot of Bill was good. A lot of Bill was good. Um, Danny, give me... Uh, give me number six of Gerard Mayo because I found this one particularly interesting. I want people around me that are going to question my ideas or question the way we have done things in the past. Because realistically, this game's a lot different than when I, when I was drafted in 2008. At the same time, that's why I try to spend so much time in developing young men and young women so they know I don't want to teach them, you know, what, what to think. I want to teach them how to think. And once we get to that point, I think we can get back to where we need to be at the top. And I'm an open book. I'm honored. I'm ready to go. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to be the next head coach of the Patriots. It's interesting. He says, I want people around me who will question me. I want to see how long that one will last. Right? That one feels like, of all, of all the things I heard, that one feels the most press conferencey to me. Right? That one feels like just the right thing to say. I believe that Gerard Mayo is going to, like I said, want to address that why, right? He's going to tell you, hey, I want you to do this technique, or hey, I want you to blitz this way, or hey, I want you to rush this way, or I want the route to break that way. And you're going to say, hey, coach, why are we doing it that way? Because you want to learn. And I think Mayo is going to tell you why he wants it done that way. And then when the guy says back to him, nah, coach, I, I always learned it this way, or I want to do it that way, I don't think from that point forward there's going to be a huge discussion. Right, I know people, and I know leaders, and I know people who have big jobs. Right, Gerard Mayo has a big job, and I don't think he's going to spend an hour debating every little technique or every little decision with you. I do think he's going to tell you, hey, we're going to do it this way. Here's why we're doing it. You're going to ask some questions, and he's going to say, this is why this works, and this is why we're coaching it this way. And if you disagree with him, I get a feeling he's not going to love that. Right? I don't think that Gerard Mayo is going to love being questioned on everything he does. So when he says, oh, I want to be questioned, yeah, he probably wants you to ask why. But then he's going to tell you why. And then i got to imagine, like most people, he's not going to want to go beyond that. That just seems like human nature. That's not even an anti-Gerard Mayo thing. It just feels like human nature. When he says, I want people who are around me will question me, 
I bet he wants to be questioned one time. Why are we doing it, coach? Here's the answers to why we're doing it. I think that's probably it. That's just, that's just my gut. It's just my gut. 802-585-3026. Text line is open. Ross says incoming ex, uh, incoming coach speeches are like politicians. Show the results you say you will achieve. Completely agree. Text says my issue is that Belichick left the cupboard bare in terms of offensive skill players and offensive line. This might be a major rebuild, and they're using the same talent evaluators that made this mess. Fair. That's a fair worry. And as I said yesterday, and this is not me being coy, because I think you've heard me say this all year, right? Like, I have I have pegged the Patriots for not being very good all season. I feel like I've been appropriately hard on them for all of the 2023 season. Everything that texter says, everything I've said all year is true. They are devoid of talent. I don't love the GM structure, which is coming, which we're going to talk a little bit about later today. I, I don't love how all of this has played out. But... If they get the quarterback right, all of that goes away, right? It's that simple. All of that goes away. All of our concerns go away if you get the quarterback right. Look at the Houston Texans. Last year, the Texans picked second in the draft, second in the draft. They were expected to be horrible again. We didn't know a lot of their skill players. New head coach. They got the quarterback right, and here they are. Now we think they're set up for a decade. You get the quarterback right, that all goes away. Patriots had a lot of issues before. They had Tom Brady. They had the quarterback. A lot of those issues were kind of pushed under the rug. A lot of those issues were hidden. Everything that you worry about is fair. Everything I worry about is fair. Get the QB right. Most or all of it goes away. Text says, I have been working in machine shops since 1986. I've taken in a lot of work habits. Hopefully the best from my bosses and coworkers through the years, things I practice to this day. Um, hopefully Gerard Mayo can do the same. Also, from earlier in the news, Brady, I too miss my flip phone. Yes, I miss my flip phone, flip phone as well. If you were with us at about 4.30 or so, you got to hear that segment uh, on the afternoon news service. Danny and I talked about that. Yes, I do miss my flip phone. All right. Robert Kraft addressed why the Patriots didn't go through an exhaustive coaching search like I had asked them to. He actually had a very good answer to that. He said the one thing that can counter the points that I have made. What did Kraft have to say? I'll tell you next on the EV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nestle, will be with us about 6.15. Pretty, um damning story about the Red Sox in the Boston Globe. Another one that's kind of damning was in Mass Live yesterday. We'll talk about that story in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll ask TC about what's going on as well. But uh, right now I want to continue on with the Patriots conversation. You can get in 802-585-3026. I have bagged on the Patriots for not going through an exhaustive coaching search, right? I, again, I don't know the legality of having it in Gerard Mayo's contract that he's the successor and then going out and doing other interviews. Um, I don't know the legality of that, but I would have preferred the Patriots had gone through and done a bunch of interviews, right? I keep saying diversity of thought. I would have wanted to hear other ideas. I would have wanted to hear other ways of doing things. Hey, what do you think we're doing wrong here? I wanted to hear all of that. I wanted to kind of sample the room and get a bunch of different perspectives. Robert Kraft was asked why he didn't do that, and he said simply, 
I have, and we don't have the audio of this, I'm paraphrasing. He said something to the effect of when you believe you've got the guy, you don't go outside because you risk losing the guy. He said, look, in 1996, I think it was, he said, I had a chance to hire Bill Belichick as the successor to Bill Parcells. says, I didn't do it. He didn't name him by name, but he, look, he chose Pete Carroll. And he says, I regretted doing that. I had a chance to hire Belichick. I let him go, and I regretted it until 2000 when I could hire him again. says, I did not want to make that same mistake. That is the only defense to what I have said, and I have to give Robert Kraft credit for that. Right? I do think it would be beneficial for the organization to sample other things. And maybe, I, I said all along, I'd be fine if you hired Mayo. I just want to hear from everybody. I didn't like the idea of hiring Mayo first. Kraft says, look, if I let him go out of the building, or if I toy with this guy, or if I mess with him, and frankly, I'm sure if I piss him off, right? Because if I'm Gerard Mayo and I've been promised a job, and you want to go out and talk to 12 people, I'm going to get pissed off, and I'm going to interview for other jobs. And I'm going to take the Seattle job, or I'm going to take the the, uh, the Atlanta job, or the Carolina job, or whatever. And I'm going to say, screw you, the Chargers job. If, if, if I let him leave the room and I give him animosity towards me, I don't guarantee get him back. That is the counter to what I've been saying all along. I asked Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio about that earlier today. Danny, he agreed with Robert Kraft's quick hire. Here's why I don't have a problem with him being quick and decisive, because he knew exactly that was the guy that he wanted to be the person after Bill Belichick. And if you know that's the person that you want, there's no need to wait around to see who else is going to be out there. Because then all of a sudden you may run off Gerard Mayo. He may go somewhere else. And how is that going to look that you had a guy as part of your organization? You decide not to promote him to being the head coach, even though that was written in his contract, because you want to see who else was out there. Then he goes somewhere else and he succeeds. And you had him in your building. Robert Kraft, in my opinion, made the right move not to wait around for somebody else when he believed the guy that he really wanted to succeed, Bill Belichick, was right there underneath his nose and in his own building and not outside the building of the Patriots. That's fair. And I will back off my criticism of the Patriots for not going through an exhaustive search because of it. I still think there was a lot to be gained by talking to other people, but you did risk alienating Gerard Mayo. You risked angering Gerard Mayo. You risked um, letting him go somewhere else. And if you truly believe that he is the guy, then you can't afford to do that. I still would like to have heard from everybody else, but I can understand that Bill Bell or that uh, Robert Kraft, excuse me, did not want to make what he thinks is the same mistake twice. He let Bill Belichick go once, and he regretted it for three years until he could bring Belichick back. And now he didn't want to make the same mistake with Gerard Mayo, a guy that he believes is a star, a guy that we have been told is a coaching star, a guy that we have been told has a great ambiance around him and is a brilliant coaching mind. He did not want to make that same mistake. Text, this text wants to talk about the draft. I'm not quite ready to do that yet. Um, I want to get to another um, – piece of audio here danny let's go to gerard mayo number four in a second mayo was asked about the coaching structure right offensive coordinator defensive coordinator etc here's what he had to say everything's still under consideration um obviously the staff that i've been working with isn't the staff that i've chosen 
but everything's under evaluation. One thing I would say with all of my coaches, the number one thing is developing people. I think with this generation, you have to show them that you care about them before you get into, you know, competency as far as X's and O's are concerned. And that's one thing I feel like with all my coaches, they should know the players. They should know the, the, their room better than I do. But to me, whether we're talking offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, all that stuff is under eval. And my number one thing is I want to bring in developers. Yeah, that last 30 seconds or so is all great. The part that matters is everything is on the table, right? He was asked about offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. He says everything is on the table. That means it's possible that Bill O'Brien is back. That means it's possible that Bill O'Brien is fired. It's possible that Josh McDaniels is brought in, as we heard the rumor. It's possible they go outside the organization. It's possible defensive coordinator Bill, uh, Steve Belichick stays on staff and gets promoted. It's possible that he goes to the outside. It's possible that he's the defensive play caller. All those things are on the table. If I had to have my gut, I believe that most of the Patriots' key staff from last year will return. And if they don't return, I believe there's going to be people with significant Patriots' ties coming into town. Right, This idea that everything is going to be fresh and new, this idea that everything is going to be started over, I don't think that's going to happen. A couple of different reasons. I think Gerard Mayo thinks he was already working with good coaches. I think he's going to want to bring a lot of them back. If he moves on from Bill O'Brien, I think there's a very real chance that Josh McDaniels is back. Robert Kraft spoke multiple times about the best practice in business being able to develop from within. I believe that Robert Kraft believes keeping continuity and keeping guys who you have built up on your staff, I think he thinks that he said that is the best way of doing business. And if it's not the guys they currently have, I bet you Robert Kraft will also be perfectly fine with bringing in guys that he used to work with, guys that he knows can do the job like a Josh McDaniels. Um, I would not be surprised to see former Patriots players come back, right? We already saw one wave of former players like Mayo and like Troy Brown I remember Gerard Mayo saying at one point he thought Dante Hightower would make a great coach. Well, maybe Dante Hightower comes back and works with linebackers or does something. I don't know. But in terms of everything being new, I don't think we're going to see that. Everything's on the table, but I got to think that it's going to be a lot of the same staff, a lot of guys who are familiar with the staff already, and or guys that Mayo played with or knows from his playing days in New England. Right, nose through his playing days in New England. We will see what happens. We'll have more from the Gerard Mayo presser. That's going to come up uh, in the 6 o'clock hour. Tom Karen's up about 15 minutes from now. We've got a lot of Red Sox up to get to. And yesterday I bagged on the people who think that all NFL games are fixed. Today i got to bag really quick on another group of NFL people that have bothered me for all of 2023. That's next on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Parker Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Tom Karen messing with us in about 10 minutes, a lot of Red Sox stuff, but I want to talk about this. I want to divert real quick. Danny, we talked about the group of people out there who think that professional sports is fixed. I, I really can't stand those people, right? And yesterday we spent a lot of time talking about that. You can go download the podcast if you want to hear my thoughts on that. There's been kind of historically three groups of people that are fans that I really can't stand, 
right? Like three groups of people I really don't want to associate with. One is football is fixed guy, right? Or the sports is fixed guy. I can't stand being around that guy. I also can't stand being around gambling guy, right? I can't stand being around gambling guy. And this is the guy who, now I had NFL Sunday ticket this year, but for a long time, I didn't have NFL Sunday ticket. So for a long time, right, like every Sunday for a bunch of years, I would have to go to a bar to watch the Seahawks games, right? I'd watch the Patriots games at home because we get them, and then I would go to the bar and watch the Seahawks game. And there would be some guy near me who, like, I'm hanging on the game, right? I want the Seahawks to win, and I don't care if they win 25 to 17. I don't care if they win 20 to nothing. I don't care if they win 41-39. I just want to see them win the game. Gambling guy always finds his way next to you, and he's just rooting for gambling outcomes. And, like, oh, man, yeah, I'm like, yeah, the Seahawks scored. It's like, yeah, but they missed the extra point. Now they're only up six, and then oh, I'm pushing it. Oh, my God. But, buddy, do not care, right? At, do not care. I want my team to win the game. I want my team to win the Super Bowl. I could care less if you go if they go 0-17, 0-17 against the spread. If you if you lose, your, I could care less. Bad beats though. Great segment with SVP. Great segment on ESPN. I don't gamble a lot, but I do find that hilarious, and I feel bad for people. But when it comes to my team, your gambling means nothing to me. I have a buddy, every one of my good friends. Every week he would text me because he's and he's like all kinds of different bets, right? Game bets, prop bets. He's like. Seahawks scored, but couldn't they throw it to Metcalf instead? I'm like, buddy, they scored. Don't care. And then I hate fantasy guy. Fantasy guy is the same as gambling guy, except he only cares about his fantasy team. So I'll be at the bar watching the Seahawks game, and I'll be, like, looking for somebody to high-five. Yeah, Seahawks scored. The guy will look at me. He'll 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 give you a high-five. He goes, oh, wait, that was Metcalf who scored? Damn, I needed Lockett. Or it was only 18 yards? Oh, I needed it to be 20 so I could get the bonus. Buddy, do not care. Like, so I hate those three people. Gambling guy, fantasy guy, league is fixed guy. This fourth guy is not quite on the list, but he's starting to get on the list. And this is guy who complains that the league is ruined because of Taylor Swift. Okay? I am so tired of seeing people talk bad, like, care, number one, care about this story. And number two, be like so off-put that Taylor Swift is part of the NFL conversation. I am, like, I, I, we, Danny, we talked about this story, like, once when they started dating her and Kelsey, and I was like, I don't care enough to talk about it anymore. It's finally reached a fever pitch for me on social media, where I can barely go on social media without seeing the take, like, Taylor Swift has ruined football. I can't watch football anymore because there's too much Taylor Swift. Or the article, did Taylor Swift ruin football? Or why do white males hate the Taylor Swift likes football? I can't stand this story. Let me just tell you that this is the facts according to Brady Farkas. One, I realized this a long time ago. Generally, you don't hate the person. You hate the media coverage of the person. Right? It started for me, Danny, at this point, it's probably about 16 years ago. I could, I was a lot younger, right? I was 18. I could not stand Brett Favre. The whole story arc of will Brett Favre retire, won't he retire? Then I realized, you know what? I don't know that I hate Brett Favre. I hate ESPN's coverage of Brett Favre. And then it was the same for me with Tim Tebow. I don't, what reason is there to hate Tim Tebow? I didn't hate Tim Tebow. I hated ESPN's obsession with Tim Tebow. Now, there were eventually reasons to hate Johnny Manziel, right? There was re- there were things that make Johnny Manziel wholly unlikable. But at first, it wasn't that I hated Manziel. It was I hated the media obsession around Manziel. 
chances are you don't hate Taylor Swift because you don't know enough about Taylor Swift to hate her. You hate the media obsession with Taylor Swift. So if you want to be mad at ESPN or NBC or CBS, that's fine, or Fox. Don't be mad at her, okay? She, she didn't come to the game and say, hey, I'm here, show me four times today. They are choosing to show her four times today. So that is not a her problem. That is a network problem. Be, redirect your anger at them like eventually I redirected my anger at from athletes to networks. That's number one. Number two, Taylor Swift's ruined the NFL, Brady. The NFL is not ruined. Okay, The NFL has record high ratings, so they have record high profits. And we all bought Sunday Ticket, and we all watched the game on Peacock, and we all streamed our Thursday night games on Amazon Prime. At least most of us did. The league is not ruined. Taylor Swift didn't ruin it. Every other scandal the NFL has had hasn't ruined it. Right? The league's not ruined. The re- league is doing just fine. Taylor Swift hasn't done anything to it. Number three, I would argue that the lack of tackling ability in the NFL is far worse for the NFL than Taylor Swift is. Okay? Did you see the Eagles game the other night? Did you see that the Buccaneers players looked like little pinballs bouncing off of them? Did you watch my Seahawks play at any point this season where they couldn't tackle anybody? The Seahawks would be in the playoffs if they could allow less than 500 yards a game of total offense. They couldn't. Why? Because nobody can hit. Why can nobody hit? Well, lack of practice time, lack of off-season program in the name of player safety. That's all great, but it's really led to a decreased product. You want to talk about the NFL going downhill at all, let's start with the fact that the officiating is not very good. Let's move on to the fact that I'm 34 years old and barely know what a catch is, and let's go to the fact now that nobody can tackle. I would say all of those things have ruined the league more than Taylor Swift has. And finally, from just a human being point of view, let me just say this. Taylor Swift goes to her boyfriend's games. That appears to be pretty supportive. Isn't that the kind of relationship that everybody wants? She goes to his games. He goes to her concerts. They support each other. They seem to genuinely like each other. Do I know if it's going to last forever? No. Do I care if it lasts forever? No. But for right now, he supports her. She supports him. That sounds pretty good to me. And if they're happy with it, guess what? That that seems to be all that I care about. Like, the, the people who were, like, so turned off by the network showing her for six seconds here and there were some seven-year-old in the crowd with a sign, like, get over yourself as far as I'm concerned, okay? You know what I'm tired of when it comes to the NFL? I am more tired of every day turning on every single network and wondering about Mike McCarthy's job status from week one on. I'm tired of the 18-week, is this guy on the hot seat news cycle? I'm tired of this. I am so tired of Jim Harbaugh's storyline already. I want to gouge my eyes out with a fork about it. Okay, that kind of hot take conversation point for every hour of every day on every show on every network bothers me more than nine seconds of Taylor Swift in the crowd. Okay, rant over. But I mean seriously, I see it every day on social media. The Taylor Swift problem, the Taylor Swift effect. Taylor, this group of people hates Taylor Swift. We, we can't watch football anymore because of Taylor Swift. People rooting against the Chiefs just because they're rooting against Taylor Swift. The people, the convergence of my hate worlds when people say the league is fixed so that Taylor Swift gets to go to the Super Bowl because of Travis Kelsey. I got news for you. Taylor Swift is one of the richest people in the world. She can afford to go to the Super Bowl no matter what. Okay, She can afford to go to the Super Bowl no matter what. And last I checked, when the Lions played over the weekend, we got like 47 shots of Eminem. I didn't see people complaining about that. I don't know what it is about Taylor Swift that brings it out in you people, but I could care less. 802-585-3026. Um, 
Joe in Richmond. I agree, Brady. Uh, the media is too about Swift. It's about the game and the players, not her. I don't like the Chiefs. I have never. So you're mad about the coverage of Taylor Swift, but I just hope you redirect the anger away from her. Um, I don't know what it catches anymore either. I've been watching the NFL since I was eight. Tex says, uh, agree. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. So someone says, I agree with you, Brady. Um, Okay, good. A lot of people. Danny, do you have an opinion one way or the other on what I just said or on this whole storyline? No, I'm pretty much with you. I don't listen to Swift music, but it really doesn't bother me at all. Like, I'm watching again, a football game. Maybe they show her a couple too many times. Get over it. I mean, again, she's on for what? Like, four seconds here and eight seconds there, and they pan to a person in the crowd who has a sign? Like, I'm not going to be bothered by that. If they start bringing her on every pregame show and they want to interview her at halftime, then I'd be annoyed with it. But, like, she's not doing anything, as far as I'm concerned, to capitalize on this. She's already rich. She's all, she doesn't need the NFL to talk about her as much as they do. The NFL needs her more than she needs the NFL at this point. I mean, my goodness. Um, all right. Tom Karen's going to be with us in a few minutes. He just texted me. He's running a few minutes behind. That's actually good in this case. Let me uh, – because I want to make sure I get you to this Red Sox story. Two different Red Sox stories in the last 24 hours have come out, right? One from the Boston Globe, one from Mass Live. Let me tell you the takeaways here from the Boston Globe story, because to me, there's really only one takeaway. Very clearly, Craig Breslow says they are not going to go for it with the Red Sox until they are completely ready. Now, I don't have access anymore to the story. I had a Boston Globe account this morning, and all of a sudden it's run out, so I can't pull up the exact quotes anymore because a subscription is required. But basically, Craig Breslow says, we've been engaged in conversations. We've tried to get people, and they have, right? It's Oscar Hernandez, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. We haven't gotten certain people, and now we believe our best course of action is waiting for our young core to develop. He said, we don't believe it's right to trade from our young core for one year of Corbin Burns or two years of Dylan Seif. So he has said, we are not going to really go for it until we believe we are fully ready. And what that means is having all the young guys coalesce at once, right? He's Kyle Teal, their first-round pick from a year ago. Marcelo Meyer, their top overall prospect. Roman Anthony, their top outfield prospect. Rafaela being there. Abreu being there. Casas being developed. All of their young guys need to be ready to go. Bayo turning into an ace. And at that point, that is when Craig Breslow says, like, basically, that's our permission to go for it. When everybody is ready, then we can start acting like the Boston Red Sox again. And it brings up an interesting point, right? I talk, I told you yesterday I talked to John Smoltz, right, for the other side gig that I have. Well, I brought in some of the Smoltz audio for today. I asked him about the Red Sox change in philosophy. I asked him about the change in baseball philosophy. He brought up the idea of competitive windows, which is something he doesn't agree with and something I don't agree with either. Yeah, there definitely seems to be a transition, right? You know, every team in this generation of game, and we could argue whether it's a good uh, generation or not when it talks about this topic, window of opportunity or window of success. Every team now is looking for a window of success. Sustained greatness or being able to be relevant for 10 years doesn't seem to be the financial model or the analytical model that makes the most sense and i don't i don't understand that and i don't pretend to but each organization is going to try to shuffle the deck and build themselves 
what I see from afar is give their four to five year window, right? And that to me is garbage. What Craig Breslow is telling you and what Craig Breslow is saying that the Red Sox are going to do is they're not going to go until they think their window is open. And don't get mad at Craig Breslow. That's an ownership thing, right? They are saying, hey, find a little pocket, maximize that pocket, and then get out, right? He's not – ownership isn't saying, hey, go spend what you want, go trade who you want, let's go all in on this thing, let's really try to be great. So don't be mad at Breslow, be mad at ownership. But the idea of competitive windows is something that really, really bothers me in baseball. The competitive window exists in football, right? I believe that. You have a five-year window when you have a rookie quarterback where you need to go and win the Super Bowl, right? And you see teams that capitalize on it, like my Seahawks did with Russell Wilson, like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, you know, a team like the Niners with Kaepernick that got to the Super Bowl. You golf in the Rams. You have to capitalize on your cheap, inexpensive quarterback window because in a salary cap league, when the quarterback starts making way more money, it becomes a lot harder to win. Competitive window in football makes sense. Competitive window in baseball makes zero sense. And the fact that the Red Sox of all teams are operating under this idea of competitive windows is really, really infuriating to hear. Because here is what I believe, right? We've talked a lot about how to build a sustainable baseball team and how to build a program. Here's what, here is what I think it needs to be. And I think every team in baseball could engage in this. A major league baseball team, right? I believe basically needs to strip itself down to the core one time, right? One time you strip yourself down to the core. You've got the roster, you've got the payroll, you be bad for three or four years, you get the high draft picks, you trade away the pieces, you get everybody in the farm system all at once, everybody's between 16 and 20 years old, and you develop these this wave of talent. And eventually you start to bring the talent up wave by wave, and then eventually you end up with a really young team that's pretty athletic, that's very affordable, that's pretty good, that's pretty exciting. And once you've got that pipeline established, then you can start going out and doing things that supplement that roster. Go out and spend money. Go out and spend in free agency. Trade some of your prospects. And then as all of those kids start to grow and get more expensive, go ahead and trade one or two of them to replenish it while still being good. There is a way to do this. And it does not involve like, hey, we get three years at this thing, and then we got to tear it down again. And then we be bad for three more years. And we get three more years that are good and three more years that are bad. Once you have gutted it the first time, hopefully the only time, you have a chance then to build the sustainable winner. Houston Astros, Los Angeles Dodgers, sustainable winners. And you know what? One team is a big market team that can spend whatever it wants, and one team isn't. It doesn't have to be only in big market teams. But guess what? The Red Sox are a big market team. They could play the Dodgers way if they want to. They're choosing not to. They are saying, hey, we've got a bunch of guys here who are between 19 and 22. When they get, like, pretty good, then we can take a shot at this thing. And that infuriates me because they've got – the Red Sox have enough guys right now that are up and interesting, like Casas, like Rafaela, like Duran, that they could and should be players for real major league talent. Go sign Blake Snell. Okay, you tried to get Yamamoto. You didn't do it. Go get Blake Snell. Go get Jordan Montgomery. 
Don't give me Lucas Giolito only and call it a day. This idea of com- of a competitive window in baseball is a complete farce. Yes, you need to gut it once, open the window, and have a bunch of talent come through. Once you've done it, then you can spend, then you can trade, then you can supplement, then you can draft, and then you can keep it going. The Dodgers have proven it. The Astros have proven it. It can be done. And Craig Breslow says that, like, basically management wants to win, but we all agree the quickest path back to winning is through the development of our young players, a.k.a. you're going to wait again in 2024 because these guys aren't here yet. They're not all here yet, and that is infuriating. The Red Sox will, I'm telling you now, January 17th, we are three and a half weeks away from spring training, and I'm telling you already, the Red Sox will finish last in 2024. And that is the season that we're headed for. And it was a season that was largely avoidable, right? They could have spent. They could have supplemented. They're choosing not to. And I love baseball. I love the Red Sox. We're going to talk about them a lot, but I have a feeling we're going to be talking about, again, we talk a lot about the Patriots and how Bill Belichick didn't do a lot player personnel-wise and how they're just not talented enough. That's where we're going to be with the Red Sox as well. There are going to be some nice stories in the Red Sox system this year. I can promise you that. Craig Breslow, Andrew Bailey, their willingness and ability to develop talent, especially pitching, I'm sure will yield some hits. Lucas Giolito might be better than he's been in the last few years. Tanner Houck might take a step forward. Cutter Crawford might take a step forward. We might see Isaiah Campbell be a good bullpen weapon. There will be hits. But overall, this team is not going to have enough talent. We are going to be left with a Red Sox team that looks a lot like the Patriots. Hoping, and then when guys get injured, you're going to see a lack of overall depth and a lack of overall talent, and then we'll be told next offseason, hey, the kids are one year closer. Now we can go one step closer, and I don't know if they'll do it in the offseason leading into 2025. It's very, very frustrating. Um, also, John Henry's not going to appear at upcoming winter weekend, which is this weekend, which is, of course, incredibly weak. He got booed last year and clearly doesn't want to go again this year. Own it. You're the owner of the company. My goodness. Um, Tom Warner, or Tom Warner, by the way, said this about the Red Sox. So basically pinned a lot of this on uh, Craig Breslow. He said this, Danny, uh, the full quote is, in the end, we don't have a line in terms of our payroll that we look at as much as trusting that Breslow is going to deliver on his assurance that we're going to be competitive. <laughs> so Breslow says we're going to be competitive based on you saying that we're going full throttle based on the meetings with you in which you say resources are no problem, and then you turn it around and say, yeah, you know what, it's not really a money thing. It's about if this guy can do his job. Way to sell your new employee, your new manager, down the river. Because guess what? It is always about money to some degree. It's the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Um, Does Breslow go ahead and try to deal Devers, Story, and Yoshido, those with huge salaries, well, I think they'd love to trade Story. They can't, right? Like, he, he was too hurt last year. He has no value. Yoshida, I think, does have value. We've heard they're listening on him. And, no, you don't trade Devers, right? You don't trade Devers. They, that's the one – that's the guy you can't trade. You've already got a revolting – a revolt from the fan base on your shoulders. You can't go and do that. That'll make it even worse. All right, we got Tom Karen, our Red Sox insider over at Nesson, is with us now. We're talking about all of this with TC. Also, Tom Karen, TC, how are you? Doing well, Brady. How you doing? 
I am doing well as well. We had negative temperatures, uh, wind chill wise this morning, digging out from snow. Are you getting the Fort Myers itch now at this point in January? Yeah, you know, I, I got it officially watching that uh, Kansas City Chiefs game uh, over the weekend, <laughs> right? I said, that's coming this way. I got to head south. So the countdown is on less than a month till we be down there. Let's go. Looking forward to spring training. We will get to the Red Sox in a second. But more important than them even, how was uh, Jackie Jack and the Funky Bunch over at Nectar's last week? Campfire Jack and the S'mores were outstanding. <laughs> they crushed it at Nectar's. Uh, as I told you, that was kind of a dream come true for my son, Jack. Uh, part of a really cool night there. And they're playing again this weekend. Radio Bean opening up for another act in Burlington. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the mayhem around, uh, Campfire Jack and the S'mores is, uh, is, is palpable. When are they going to release like a Deep Tracks album or something? The, the yeah, uncut the, hits. Yeah. The Apple Music Essentials. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure when that's coming out, but one, one gig at a time. That's very, very cool. Let's talk. Let's move on to the Red Sox. Interesting article yesterday in the Boston Globe. Um, Craig Breslow doing a lot of talking about kind of the state of the starting rotation, the state of the roster, where the franchise is at. Your overall takeaway was what, TC? Well, I, that I, my, I, I put it out on social media. I mean, I'm glad Breslow is being honest and transparent and, and taking us a little bit behind the curtains as to what he's tried to do and the troubles he's made. It doesn't answer the questions fans have about why don't you spend more money, right? He, he sort of skirted around that. You're saying it's been tough to find pitching. Well, Snell and Montgomery are still out there. Spend the money, get the pitching, right? Clearly, they're not willing to do that. Reading between the lines, it's the first time you've really heard them sort of say, we're building with the prospects. We're building with the young guys. And, and that, you know, includes – Meyer and Roman Anthony and Kyle Teal, you won't see any of them till the end of this season at the earliest. So after three months of waiting to see what full throttle is, it felt like that whole thing is saying, no, we're throttling back. And, you know, maybe if you'd said that last fall, if you said, listen, we're going to make incremental additions to this team, but we still think we are building the next great Red Sox franchise, maybe everything would have gone a little easier. Or maybe that screaming would have been last October, and now you'd be more looking forward to it. I, I kind of feel like they've botched the offseason. We'll see if that changes. Because, again, you go get Montgomery and Solaire this week, and I think you've got a competitive team. I think it's right there for you. Uh, they don't seem willing to do that yet, and I think that's going to lead to uh, an interesting weekend at uh, in Springfield when we all gather. TC, given that he's a former player, Given that there's the pitching systems processes he's bringing, there's clearly a difference between Craig Breslow and Haim Bloom. But when we hear him say things like, we want to build a sustainable winner over time to the Boston Globe, that's the exact same as Haim Bloom. Are we going to find out that these two are more similar maybe than, than people wanted them to be when this process was, uh, was beginning? It feels like that right now, but I will point to the Chris Sale deal as the sort of bold move that Breslow said he's willing to make that I don't think we saw under Bloom. You know, I think everything else will be fairly, fairly similar, building the prospects, building that sustainable contender. But, you know, what was the bold, I mean, other than trading Mookie Betts and that backfired. Uh, in a big way, but, but we all believe that was a mandate he inherited when he came in, right? So after that, you know, what, and, uh, Kyle Schwarber was a bit of a bold move and it paid off, but we didn't see enough of that. I like the fact that we've already seen, for better or worse, 
you know, you move the guy who might have a really good year on the mound for a young hitter that you feel can blossom into a regular year. So that'll be the big difference, I think. I think if you can do the same things Bloom did, because Bloom built the farm system, right, from from 25 to 30 uh, in, in, in Major League Baseball rankings to top five. So he did that part of it. If you can do that and be bold on the top end with those final pieces, you'll be okay. But uh, we need we need more moves, not less. We're talking with Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson with us here at Brady Parker Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. TC, I was listening to somebody talk yesterday, and they were talking about the windows of opportunity or the windows of winning. And it seems like from Breslow's comments that they are focusing on a window that includes these young position players that kind of graduate to impact players. And the question is, is do you go – you know? How do you feel about building a team that's kind of good all the time versus a team that might be great for a three or four year window? What do you think about this window that everybody's looking for? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what we've seen the windows, right? You, you see them over the years, right? I like the, the Astros Dodgers. window where they're good for a decade. I like that. I like window. the Dodgers window. I like the yeah. Dodgers window. Okay. I like the Atlanta Braves back there when they went 13 consecutive divisions, right? You, nobody said it has to be a, a porthole. It can be a picture window. Okay. Uh, so I, you know, but, but the Red Sox clearly, listen, let's go back to how this all began, right? Dombrowski was fired in 2019. Not because he went all in to win it in 2018, but because of the decisions he made after 2018. The Chris Sale signing more than anything else did in Dave Dombrowski. They're bringing back Steve Pierce, right? He, he sort of just brought everybody back and it backfired miserably. And he wanted to go add to that at the trade deadline. The decision was not to do it. They didn't make the playoffs. He was gone. Uh, ever since then, uh, they've been trying to open that window again, but clearly that window closed at the end of 2019 when they were unable to, you know, make that, navigate that transition from an 18 championship to a group with younger players, right? That's what they did between 04 and 07, right? The 07 championship team was younger, was homegrown, was, was Jacoby Ellsbury and, and Lester and Papelbon and Buckles and young guys who were coming up through the system. Uh, 1819 tried to go all in with, with more veterans and more free agent guys and it backfired. So now when we're looking back on it, and I said this on Twitter yesterday, would you have felt better in 2020 if they said it's a five year rebuild? Probably not because the Red Sox should never have a five year rebuild. And 2021 was the reminder that you can put it back together quickly. They were two wins away from the World Series. But by and large, three last place finishes. What you've had here is a four-year rebuild. Uh, and I, I, I thought we were ready to come out of it. Um, I'm not sure we are with the roster as presently constructed. TC, let me ask you a generic question that's really a Patriots question. Um, so Gerard Mayo's press conference today, we've played the audio throughout the show. We're going to continue to play it after you get out of here. But, you know, I, I can think of five reasons why this will be great, and I can think of five reasons why this will be a disaster for the Patriots. You have been around a lot of coaching changes, a lot of managerial changes. Do you like the idea of keeping a hire in the family and kind of graduating somebody up to staff? Or do you like the idea of diversity of thought, bringing somebody from the outside with new, fresh perspectives that is not tied to the old way of doing things? I think – the process was handled poorly. And I will think that however this plays out. I, I think Gerard Mayo might be the right guy for this job. 
Uh, I think he's a, a brilliant football mind. He's a really good people person. As his staff gets solidified, that'll be interesting, right? Like who's the, you know, who's the guy sitting next to, you know, the Ron Renneke next to Alex Cora his first year, right? Uh, but I, I think even if you were going to hire Gerard Mayo, I would have really liked to see them interview multiple candidates. And and I'll tell you why, because I've talked to a lot of people who, who run teams. And, and the one thing I've learned over the years is that you can learn a lot about yourself by interviewing people for your top job. Because when you bring them in, what you're saying is, what do you think we can do better? Mm-hmm. You know, and the, you're, the fresh eyes you're talking about don't have to be the guy you hired. But, but it could really help to hear from 10 different people what they see as your weaknesses, what they think from outside you could fix inside. And then you could take that knowledge. And if you're good management, you do something with it. You incorporate that into the Gerard Mayo era. They missed that possibility. They, they, they're taking a guy who, who played here, who coached here, and who has only been here. Uh, and, and again, I, I know him a little bit. I think he is a great person. Uh, I think he's a high character guy. I think there will be a sort of, you know, the, the opening up the window, you know, we talk about windows today, but let, let a little breath of fresh air into that locker room after it's been, you know, my way or the highway under Belichick for a long time. There'll be a younger, more collaborative sort of philosophy, I think. Uh, but I, I do think they missed the chance to get a, a, a sort of out. And maybe they didn't want that. Okay. Maybe, maybe the crafts say, no, we like the way we're running things. We think we are singularly capable of turning this thing around and we don't need to hear what anybody else is thinking. Uh, but I, I just don't think that is the best uh, way to, to, to use the opportunity they had. TC, I'll get you out of here on this, you know, come into the year, talked about it a couple months ago, thinking it's going to be a step back year for the Bruins a little bit, like still playoff team, but not cup caliber after losing Bergeron and Krejci. And here they are in first place in their division, most points in the division, leading, I think, Toronto by four at this point coming into today. Do have some questions at uh, at goaltender with some injuries going on there, but what do you think of for the Bruins right now? Well, like I said, throughout this first half, uh, they've surprised me and and the young guys, you know, the, the Shattenkirks and the Van Riemsdyks have, have had a lot more in the tank than I expected. Uh, young guys have really stepped up. Uh, guys I didn't think were, were ready for prime time have shown they are ready for prime time. Uh, the forwards have been really good. You know, obviously, I think it's been a real nice breakthrough year for, for Trent Frederick, and I think he's been a really important part of this. Uh, but I think, as you, you know, Charlie Coyle has really come together with his best year. But, you know, the, the geekies and, and the beachers of the world, uh, you know, Patra was, was, was heralded, but those other guys have really solidified to give them a lot more depth up front. Uh, Charlie Coyle's, uh, having that breakthrough year. Charlie McAvoy on the, on the blue line, you know, your, his health is so important as any number one is. Uh, and you mentioned the goaltending. You know, you love the fact when they had two. Now Swayman's getting a shot. He's an all, all-star. You know, he's going to get to be the guy in there every night for a little bit. They, they, they hope that Elmark isn't gone for a long time. I do wonder this. If Elmark comes back and Swayman has really been able to handle the nightly role of an everyday goaltender, do they then consider moving Elmark at the trade deadline to bring in even more firepower? Get a serviceable backup at the trade deadline. You can always get those guys, a guy who can step in and play one out of four games. 
Uh, but I won it because that's still the one place they have surplus capital, right? When you talk about trades, um, I know they like both. I do. And I know the two guys like hugging each other after wins and they like uh, the rotation and the tandem. And if they're both here, I think you're going to see it in the playoffs, unlike last year. Uh, but I, I, I do wonder if Swayman can give you a couple of weeks, the glimpse that, listen, I can do this every night and I can do it at an all-star level. Are, are you then missing an opportunity to go really help yourself out front uh, by moving Allmark? If you, if you don't do that, uh, we'll wonder, I think, come playoff time if they need a little more. Because I think I said this, they, you know, Bertuzzi-type guy from last year. I know he's not been that guy this year, but a tough guy up top who can do the dirty things and score you some goals, uh, be an agitator on the power play, all those things, give you the size to sort of complement the feistiness of Marshawn. Uh, I think if you can get a guy like that, it might be worth dealing with one of your goaltenders. And I think Allmark's the guy to deal because I think Swayman's the guy you build around. DC, much appreciated. We'll catch up next week. We'll find out how winter weekend went and uh, look forward to it. Yeah, keep me in your thoughts. Thanks. <laughs> keep me in your thoughts. Yeah, Red Sox winter weekend is coming up this weekend. And my message for TC is simple. They're not booing you. Remember that they're not booing you. They're booing the Red Sox. They're booing ownership. They'll probably boo Breslow, although I think that's a little misguided. It really is about booing, you know, John Henry and, uh, and you know, again, who won't be there. It's really about booing John Henry, Tom Warner, and Sam Kennedy and company. So it's not Tom Karen's fault. Uh, Texter says, do the Red Sox expect Cora to wait indefinitely for them to become competitive again or find a better situation? Cora is in the driver's seat here. Alex Cora has one year left on his contract. That's it, right? Like, he's in the driver's seat. Because Craig Council, who's the new manager of the Cubs, totally reset the managerial market, right? Craig Council is making $40 million total with the Cubs. I think he's making $8 million a year. Alex Cora is a free agent at the end of the season. If the Red Sox want to keep him, then they're going to have to pony up big-time money now, like Council's getting. And if they don't want to keep him, then he can go somewhere else that's going to give big money and he'll have a job tomorrow, right? Whether, and I think people around baseball understand that while the Red Sox have some nice pieces, like ownership is really holding back the manager, right? The general manager is being held back by ownership, but that's going to impact the team. So Cora, how good or bad the Red Sox are this year is not necessarily a reflective of how good or bad he is as a manager. So he is in the driver's seat. He's got all the power. We're going to talk with Buster about this tomorrow, right? The Boston Globe article, very, very damning, very, very frustrating. And then the uh, Tom Warner comments to uh, Mass Live as well. TC says, though, right, the window is basically not open yet because I don't know that we're at the end of this. Uh, I don't think we're at the end of this uh, of this rebuild. It's very, very disappointing. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM at WDEVradio.com. Gerard Mayo, the newest head coach of the New England Patriots. How patient do you be with him? If you are Robert Kraft, that's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on DEV. Jazz with George Thomas comes up in about 15 minutes. That's on from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock. I'm going to get to the Gerard Mayo thing in a second, but Danny... You are uh, Danny Hoops here. Celtics are back in action tonight, taking on Wemby and the Spurs. 
Are you nervous about the Indiana Pacers now, a team that's given the Celtics some trouble, beat them in the in-season tournament, now they've acquired Pascal Siakam in the trade with the uh, Toronto Raptors? Are you worried about this? I'm not worried yet. It seems like they wanted a little bit of defense, so that'll help them. But I'm not sure they're going to go right to the top of the East with that. They traded away Vermont Academy product Bruce Brown, who I actually really like, right? Winning player, won the title last year with Denver, could score a little bit, hustles, plays good defense. Is he as good as Pascal Siakam straight up? No, but I do think that's a role a, player. He's a good I player. do think that's a good, like a, a give up that actually matters, right? A lot of these trades involve just financial dumps and really one side is kind of getting hosed and the other side's getting the star. Again, Brown's not as good as Siakam. But I do think that is giving up something of value. Yeah, and future first-round picks, that's the other value. Yes. Not current, but yes. Three future first-round picks. Again, though, you know, it's amazing how valueless the NBA draft largely is. Like, you think about in the NFL, guys, seventh-round picks, undrafted free agents. They come in every year and become stars, right? They come in every year and become stars. Major League Baseball now is a 20-round draft. Guys can get picked 20th. Guys cannot get picked and be, guy, Mike Piazza was picked at like the 60th round when we used to have that many rounds in baseball. Became a Hall of Famer. In the NBA, it's almost like if you're not in, picked at the top seven, you have very little chance of, of surviving. I mean, there's the occasional Isaiah Thomas, the Jokic, Draymond Green, second round picks, late first round picks, but like, these first round picks feel like almost nothing to me. If Indiana is good, and they Figure to be relatively good, right? Maybe not championship good, but if they, they figure to be a team that's going to be picking 20th or later for the next few years, I mean, so what? Toronto gets picks 20 through 30, and they're basically just lottery tickets. Like, most of those players fail, and it's shocking considering how good players are in this country, how good players are worldwide, and how many of them there are, that players in the NBA fail very, very easily, whereas in football, they come from everywhere in the draft. I, I just, the, the draft, these draft picks now almost don't mean anything to me. Unless they're lottery picks, and unless they're really, like, top eight picks, they do almost nothing for me anymore in the NBA. I think you find a, quite a few good role players, even late in first rounds. Like, maybe you don't think about them, but you look back at drafts and you say, oh, a lot of those guys are still in the league. Yeah, but Second round, obviously, those guys... When I, when I hear like, oh, I'm getting a first round pick, my mind goes to, oh, future star. Not like guy who can hang on and play 14 minutes a game and get me seven points. I mean, that, that to me just feels like, like those picks of, when I hear first round pick, I think future star. And I, I just don't, you don't get a lot of that from later in the rounds. Like, I'm just, I'm there. I'm pulling up just randomly. The 2019 NBA draft, right? The 2019 draft. These are guys who have had enough time now to kind of marinate. Okay. Zion was picked number one. We'll call him good. John Morant, two, good. RJ Barrett, I would say, is pretty good. DeAndre Hunter, average player. Has some nice moments, average. Decent. Darius Garland, pretty good. We like him. That's the top five. Okay. Pick six. Jarrett Culver. Are you, are you high on the Jarrett Culver train these days? I'm not sure he's in the league anymore. Okay. Kobe White was number seven. Good player. Jackson Hayes, number eight. Not sure I remember him. Exactly. Rui Hachimura. Good player. Okay. Role player. Decent. Replaced for the Lakers. Nine. Cam Reddish. Eh. Ten. 
Cameron Johnson. Good player. 11. P.J. Washington was 12. Tyler Hero was 13. Fine. And then after that, out of the lottery, okay, Romeo Langford. Okay, we know how that went. Seku Dumboya, never heard of him. Chuma Okiki, never heard of him. Nikel Alexander-Walker, decent player for Minnesota. We saw him last week. 18, Gaga Vitsade. Goga. Okay, thank you. 19, Luka. Starter on the Pacers, by the way. Really? Yeah, he's the starting big man. Okay, then I'll I'll chalk that one up to my NBA ignorance there at the Pacers. But Luka Samanich, Matisse Thybul. We like Matisse Thybul. By the way, who the Celtics officially drafted on that night. Brandon Clark, okay, Grant Williams, Darius Baisley, Ty Jerome, Nasir Little, Dylan Windler, Mafondu Kabangeli, Jordan Poole, Keldon Johnson, Kevin Porter Jr. Most of the players I just read from 14 through 30 are irrelevant. A couple of them are still in the league, though. Yeah, great. So you're telling me these first-round picks that are that. Toronto got like, hey, maybe you can get Grant Williams, a guy who can hit some corner threes, play some def- decent defense, and eventually gets paid sixty million dollars that he doesn't deserve. That that's what you're telling me you can get. This this pick seems like a fleecing for Indiana. It doesn't mean they're going to win the title, but like they they seem to have got by far the better of this. I don't like losing Bruce Brown. I think he's a winning player, but I think Indiana by far got the better of this. I mean, a lot of these guys. I mean, come on, Dylan Windler. Do we know who Dylan Windler is, Danny Hoops? No, that's not our one I remember. Okay. Now I'm clicking the link to see who he is, if he still has any. I don't see any game logs for him. Dylan Windler. Let's see. Let's see if he's a. Now I got a Wikipedia. Dylan Windler. He's 27. Syracuse. That's my guess. Uh, Where did he go to college? Well, let's see. He played at. Belmont. Close enough. Okay, played at Belmont. Uh, he made his NBA debut in 2020, had three points. His career high is 15, and then he was in the G League for the Knicks, and now he is playing with the uh, South Bay Lakers. Of G League. League. So, 88 career go. games. There you go. I. Th- this is the kind of caliber of player you're telling me. That the Raptors are going to get. Yeah, but right. you also get Keldon Johnson at number twenty-nine, and he's a great player. Yes, on a terrible team, but he's a great player. There's a few, there's a few, but it's far less fruitful than the NFL. Um, all right, Gerard Mayo. How much patience do you give him? You're Robert Kraft. You are aging. You're in your low, soon to be mid eighties. You clearly have a sense of urgency. You've just moved on from the greatest coach of all time, and you want to win before he wins. How long do you give Gerard Mayo to get this thing right? Danny, what do you think? I think you give him a season or two, and if there's no improvement, then you probably have to move on again. Like, my gut tells – I'm not Mr. Fire, everybody. My gut tells me I need three years out of a guy to really see if he can do it, but I bet you Gerard Mayo gets two, right? Like, I bet Gerard Mayo gets two years – to make discernible improvement. If they go from four and thirteen to six and eleven to nine and eight, I think Gerard Mayo gets year three. If they go from four and thirteen to four and thirteen to five and twelve, 
I think Gerard Mayo is going to be dumped. Right? I don't think that – I think Robert Kraft believes in Mayo. I think he trusts in Mayo. I think he wants Mayo to succeed. I think he's going to give Mayo every opportunity to succeed. But if it doesn't happen in two years, I think he's going to be gone. That is just the culture of the NFL now. Right? That is the culture of the NFL now. We're talking about guys being on the hot seat after a year. We saw David Tepper, although he's crazy as an owner, fire Frank Reich after 11 games or something. This is not the NFL of my youth, of your youth as a listener, where guys got four and five years. Like, I saw a graphic today. Like, Tom Landry had, like, four losing seasons in a row to start his career. Bill Belichick had, like, three losing seasons in a row to start his career in Cleveland. Like, you don't get five years to turn it around anymore in the NFL. You get one to really kind of show where you're headed, and you get the second one to show real improvement. And if you don't do it, you are cooked. I asked Freddie Coleman about how much time he would give Mayo, and here's what he had to say, Danny. Oh, let's see. Uh, that's my bad. I told you where it was, and it wasn't. I thought we had it. No, we do have it. It's just uh, here, you, it's, uh, here you go. I put it in the wrong spot. If you're the Patriots. You should give Gerard Mill as much time as you believe that he can get this flipped around. It's not something that can happen overnight. Teams like the Houston Texans doing that, those things don't happen all the time, even though the National Football League is the parity football league where you can be in the outhouse one day and then in-house the next day. But they expect something like that in one year with the Patriots. I think that's looking for a wishing tree and hoping that that wish is going to come true. And Robert Kraft is very shrewd and smart to realize that Rob Mayo has a task ahead of him. But if anybody can do that at his age with the kind of acumen that he has, that's going to happen a lot sooner than later. I don't know if we can put a time frame on that when it comes to Rod Mayo and how much time he should or will get from Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. I think he's going to get two years, right? I think it's two years, and there's got to be discernible improvement. Do they have to make the playoffs within two years? Do they have to win the Super Bowl within two years? I would say no, but... There's got to be improvement. Again, 4-13 and 13 is what they were this year. If they go 7-9 and nine and then go 9-7 and seven but miss the playoffs, I, I think there would be a real case there to keep Gerard Mayo. What they can't do is go 4-13, and 4-13, and 4-13. and 13. That's what they can't do. He might not even make it two seasons if he does that, despite how much Robert Kraft loves him and how much he wants to keep it in the family. So a lot of stuff there. What tomorrow's show is going to be, right? We're on the air. For a shorter time period tomorrow, we're on only until 6.45 because of high school basketball. So we will have Buster Olney of ESPN on the show tomorrow in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll have all the reaction to the Gerard Mayo press conference from all around Patriot social media, from all the ESPN personalities. So we'll have everything you need to know, what people are saying about Mayo, what people liked, what people disliked, what people are thinking, if people agree with me on the Mayo hiring. We'll talk about all of it. That is coming up tomorrow again from 5.30 until 6.45. As for today, thanks to Freddie Coleman, thanks to Tom Karen of Nesson, and uh, thanks to Danny for pressing all the right buttons, and thanks to all of you for listening. We will uh, step aside. We will go to Jazz with George Thomas. That's on from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock, and then it is Eye in the World with John Batchelor. That's all tonight on the Friendly Pioneer, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and always streaming for free. Yes, free, but nothing's free anymore. Our app is on the WDEV radio app. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody.